Well, good morning to everyone and Merry Christmas to you all. And uh, I was going to start off by an important thing. I'm going to make sure my cell phone's turned off. And if you remember last Sunday, about halfway through my sermon, uh, I heard somebody's cell phone playing music, and uh, it was so distracting, and I finally said, is somebody got their cell phone on? And then it was discovered it was on the front pew. It was my cell phone. And uh, Pastor Rod tells me I had said the word, I'm looking at my phone to make sure it doesn't pay attention to me. I said the word seriously, and I have an Apple phone, so apparently that person with that sort of same name, I'm not going to say it, thought I was talking to them. And I went home and I checked what song it was playing. And I don't even remember the song. I just know it was a rap song with lots of F-bombs in it. And it was on the front pew. Satan was in the house, people. And it wasn't fun. And I am so sorry. That was so embarrassing. One of those, uh, they'll probably tell up my funeral stories. Uh, you know, he was so mad and then it was turned out to be his own phone. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we do know that Satan is often in the house. And Satan wants to distract us, accuse us, tear us down and really just make us full of self-loathing and hate. And you are a God of love. And I just pray your love on this place. I pray your presence in our hearts. I pray for that seed that the book of 1 John talks about being in us to be uh, flowing out in righteousness and goodness and especially love today. Oh God, as we look at the whole topic of Jesus is love, we want your presence. We want your love, which is pure and right and holy. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So this week I just happened to be scrolling through Facebook looking at, uh, you know, and, and if you didn't know, I almost had given up on Facebook, and I think I've said this before, uh, but I started to snooze people that uh, didn't matter, negative this or negative that. Sorry, my microphone, sorry, sound guys. There we go, I think I fixed it. Uh, negative this or negative that. I just start snoozing them or, or not defriending them, but unfollowing them. Didn't take me too many people, I think, 30, 40 out of the 1,000 friends I have because of being pastor of this church. And uh, I have found Facebook now quite positive and uplifting. And I think you might be, I am very sorry, guys, you guys might be surprised that Facebook and a lot of people are really good people. And there's just a few people that need to get the love of God in their hearts. And some of them would call themselves Christ followers. And I just challenge you to listen really carefully. I, I want to tell you, first of all, at the very start of this message, that this message is for me as much as it is for you. I so desperately need to learn to be loving. I so desperately have a heart just like everyone else's. And that's a heart that just is not what it should be. A heart that just gets so into the negative and into the, you've offended me, and so uh, judging you through what you do instead of seeing your heart. So this week, I just happened to catch on Facebook a couple of little snippets from Greg Grishel, preacher in the States, and in the one message, he was talking about this bias that we have, and the bias that we all have is we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our attitudes or our hearts. Now the problem is nobody can see our hearts. Nobody can see our hearts. 
And yet we judge others by their actions and not by their hearts. Another message he spoke to about how we are so easily offended today. And I've had conversations with a lot of my friends and family and I've said, like, is it just me? Or do people just seem to be angry? Angry at driving, angry at the till, angrier online, or, or what is it? And, and I think it has risen. And I think as the church is losing its influence in our society, we're seeing more and more problems with the behavior in our culture. And it could overwhelm you, it could get discouraging, but let me tell you the hope that I have, and that's in Jesus. For God is love. And when we experience his love, everything changes. I read this week of a man who has COPD. You guys know what that is? I can't even, I'd have to ask a doctor what it stands for. Basically, it's breathing problems. Uh, usually, it can be from emphysema. It can be from all sorts. Now, everybody's starting to cough because you're feeling your breathing. Anyway, a COPD, and he believes in wearing masks. And he went to a grocery store, put a mask on. Because he has barely enough oxygen to stay alive, when he put a mask on, it cut enough. Now, to the average healthy person, I, I talked to a surgeon recently, said, man, I have a mask on for 12 hours a day. I don't have any problems. But anyway, to this guy, he actually passed out in the aisle. So he has a little card from his doctor. He doesn't have to wear a mask. And uh, again, I'm very sorry, guys. Um, and he... Uh, so he doesn't wear a mask anymore, and he said, man, people judge me so much by my actions, though. They don't know my heart. They don't know that I believe in masks. You see, we have this funny bias, this funny prejudice, and we know from Romans chapter 7, that's the old nature. That's the nature before Jesus came into your heart. And that nature in us wrestles. It wrestles and tugs with the new nature, the new creation nature that you got when you prayed to receive Jesus. And it's really obvious usually which nature is taking root, right? If you read Philippians 4 or you read Ephesians 6, I mean, there's this battle that's going on. And we have this battle that the old nature struggles with the new nature, and I will tell you that especially when you have yourself pushed up against the wall or you feel threatened or you feel frustrated, that old nature, those old patterns, those old ways of coping are going to come bubbling out. But there is a remedy. There is a solution. And his name is Jesus. And I hope you'll follow with me today as we go through the scriptures because we have blind spots, we have an old nature, and we need to learn how to put that old nature to death. Don't mishear me, though, this morning. Our actions do speak loud. They really do. And often in sin, we are nasty. Often when we sin, we are nasty. I might have to get the guys to come get some tape and tape this up. It just keeps moving on me. My point this morning is this. How do we, as followers of Christ, see people the way God does? How do we get beyond what the obvious actions are? You're going to have to bring some tape. I'm sorry. This is just keeps moving away on me. If you're watching online, this is the fun and exciting time where we switch to our commercial. Just kidding. 
And this is the time you're glad you're wearing a mask, right? Because this is embarrassing. So just, they keep threatening to just tape it right around me every morning. Yeah, just on here, maybe. Just stick it on that. The only time you get some personal attention. Wow, there we go. We'll see how that goes. Could you do the makeup maybe a little bit too? Well? And again, my point is, how do we see people the way God sees them? How do we know what's really going on in their heart? How do we love them unconditionally? And I think the first thing we need to do is go to a chapter in the Bible, you probably guessed it, 1 Corinthians 13. It's most often used at weddings, but I want to challenge you today that this is probably the best description of love that you can read anywhere, any place. Even the secular world sometimes uses it. So 1 Corinthians 13, and the first few words in the chapter actually uh, say that you can do all sorts of nice things. You can feed the poor, you can give your money away, all sorts of nice things. But if you don't have love, it says it's like this noisy sounding gong. And then it gives this beautiful description of what love actually is. And when I read this description, I'll be honest, there's some of it I don't like. My Romans 7, old nature, gets really miffed at it. And you can probably guess which parts they are. Let's read along with it, shall we? Love is patient and kind. Okay, I can accept that one. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Okay, I'm getting uncomfortable here. Or rude. It does not demand its own way. Ouch. It is not irritable. Don't talk to my family about that one. And it keeps no records of being wronged. Triple ouch. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Ooh. Now, if you're overwhelmed with that, I want you to kind of give a little bit of a, an adjustment in your thinking. This is God's love to us. This is how God loves you. And I want to be really clear, and this truth is, uh, I've, I've heard this from people that uh, raise sheep. I've heard this about people who adopt abused dogs. I, I hear this about people who have grown up in abused homes. You will not know how to love others like this until you've experienced it. And a lot of us have had great parents growing up, and we experienced a little bit of this, but I'm going to be really blunt and honest. If you have not experienced God's love in this, because this is God's love for you. This is God's love for me. If you have not experienced this in your own heart, on the inside, that, that seed of truth, that seed of faith, that seed of God that came into you when you were born again, then you will not be able to exhibit this and do this outwardly to others. Now, as I wrote this message, I originally had four points, and God told me to cut two points out. 
But I do want to just mention the other two points, but I'm not going to go anywhere with them with Scripture. I wanted to explain that there's two parts to love. I wanted to explain how love has a feeling part, and love actually has an action part. In 1 Corinthians 13, the verse 4 verses kind of pull those together. I wanted to also explain this morning that not only does love have those two parts, but love doesn't mean that we just let people go willy-nilly and abuse and awful and nasty and we just take it. Now, for the most part it does, because the scripture does say that love covers a multitude of sins. The truth is, if I'm going to be in a marriage, if I'm going to be in a church, if I'm going to be in office relationships, if I'm going to have friendships, I better be able to cover a little bit of sin that others behave in. Because that's the way the old nature is always riling up in people. And there's not one of us that's perfect, is there? So I wanted to explain that love also speaks the truth. And I wanted to explain a little bit about how that all works, and it better be true, and uh, not only should it be true, but uh, is it loving when you speak it? That one gets me not saying to people the truth a lot. Because I honestly, when I ask the question of myself, am I doing this because I care about them, or is this something about me? Well, I'm not going to let them get away with that. You know, remember the definition of love keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't rejoice in evil, (laughs) doesn't like to rub it into their face. I need to be experiencing God's love or I can never, ever love like God does. But getting to my real second point because I wiped those two off, I think in order to get to that 1 John chapter 4 kind of definition, that 1 Corinthians 13 definition, we need to know where the source of love is. And we have repeatedly talked for the last three Sundays of the source of hope, of peace, of joy, and this morning of love, and how we need and can receive it. Today's message is as much about giving away hope, peace, joy, and love as receiving it. But you will not be able to give it away until you have received it. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13, love, by the way. For love comes from God. It didn't come from your parents, although they were a great representation of it, hopefully. It didn't come from your spouse when you were madly in love with each other. Hopefully you had some of that. But love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I I know that John Calvin wrestled with this in some of his doctrinal thesis back four or 500 years ago. He's a great theologian in most respects. And John Calvin wrestled with this fact that uh, without the presence of God in your life, Is it really possible, according to this verse and many others, is it possible to actually do a selfless act? And you might say, I know lots of non-Christians that give selfless acts. Now what Calvin would explain or argue is, is it really a selfless act or is there a motive behind it? Is you scratch my back, I scratch your back, or, or maybe it'll come back, it'll pay it forward or something like that. Is it really just selfless? Is it, is it just God's love pouring through you if you don't know God? Everyone who loves has been born of God. 
This is that John 3 born again stuff. You've, been, you've had the presence of God received into your heart. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is a sense of intimacy in that original language. Verse eight, whoever does not love, this is the ouchy one, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. When you understand that whole principle that when you were born again, that there was a piece of heaven placed inside your heart where you have become a new creation, where your heart of stone was replaced with the heart of flesh, this works out in us being loving. And I believe this text is really clear that love comes from God and love comes from us experiencing God's love. Back to my original point. You will not be able to love others in 1 Corinthians 13 love until you have experienced God's love. So here I was, I forget what night it was, Tuesday night, I finally sat down and I was able to watch the Christmas special that everybody else is watching, anybody else watches. Sunday night it came on. Anybody know? The Chosen. I think it was my wife that gave that one away. Okay, she knew I forgot the name of it and I was just trying to get it out of you guys. Anyway, I was watching The Chosen and the first couple of songs didn't do much for me. But I can tell you by the last scenes, as they were talking about God's love coming in the manger and that he lived amongst us and died at 33 years, I mean, I was just overwhelmed I mean, I was sitting there watching my TV and I was just going, oh, that is love. That one gives his life. That's love for a brother. And I, I literally was moved to tears. And of course, at home, I try to hide it because real men don't cry, right? I was raised by a German. And uh, so I was trying to hide it all, but I was just moved to tears, and when I experience that kind of love, it does start to bubble up from inside of me out to others. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Now, you're going to wonder, why am I reading this? It'll make sense in a moment. But I want us to understand what's really honestly at stake this whole 1 John chapter 4 kind of God is love, and if you're born again, you're going to be loving. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered for, before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And I think I've told you before, when I was in Africa, I found out that sheep and goats can look identical. One had its tail up and one had its tail down and sheep were the ones with their tails down. I think goats had them up. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, which, by the way, that means that there's a lot of people that walk around in the church pretending to be born again, and they look and smell and seem like us, but they don't. Then the king will say, and then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or need clothing and clothe you? You see, people that have the love of God inside of them, it just oozes out and they, they literally don't even notice they're being loving. Verse 39, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on, a, on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, and into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. You get the point. In order to love like that, we need to experience the incredible love of God. Real 1 Corinthians 13 loves comes from a relationship with God. I remember when I was in my first year of college and one of my classes called Christian Life, we had to memorize the book of 1 John. And I had never really read it that much up to that point. But I remember getting to 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister, and I can remember reading this going, ooh, that is pretty harsh. Friends, it's time to get rid of all the excuses it's time to get rid of all the excuses why we don't have time to spend with God and hearing his voice. The last couple of sermons, we've gone to John chapter 15. And it's that principle about connecting to the vine. And in fact, even in that passage, it talks about this beautiful resource that we have as followers of Jesus. Even in that passage, it says, those branches that didn't produce food, they were cut off and thrown in the fire. I want you to understand what's at stake here. If you are not experiencing the love of God and giving it away, therefore that is probably one of the best, and, and I don't know your heart, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know the struggles you have, but if you want to experience and give away love, you need to experience the love of God. The very same text in John chapter 15, verse 12 talking about the vine and the branches, says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You're starting to see that imagery. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Now just, I, I had to look in my Bible, just a couple of chapters later, and by the way, it was just a few weeks later, Jesus hung on the cross and did what he said. He did 1 Corinthians 13. Did we deserve him to die on the cross? Did we deserve punishment for our sins? Did we deserve for God not to forget our sins? Absolutely. That's what we deserved. And what Jesus did is he did the unthinkable. He died for those who were not righteous so that we could become righteous. So today we're going to take communion to enter, end the service. And uh, the elders, I think I have a couple of them in case you missed the elements. And by the way, I missed the elements. 
and I purposely didn't go get some so I would remember to ask them to come. A couple of elders are going to come down. If you could just put up your hand, and I've got my hand up, I need to set myself. And the reason I wanted to end this service with communion is kind of a weird thing to do just before Christmas is because communion isn't a magical thing, by the way. Communion doesn't save you. Communion doesn't necessarily do anything to you other than give your heart to check because you're supposed to examine your heart. But what communion does is it gives us this wonderful picture. When, when you take the bread and you stick it in your mouth, what does the bread represent? The body of Christ. And what did the body of Christ do for you? He gave it up. And when we drink the juice, what does the juice represent? Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It's the blood that was spilt on the ground, the life force of Jesus that flowed out. And when you drink it, it goes down the hatch, and where does it go? Don't think about it's in your stomach being digested. That's not what I mean. It's on the inside of us. Christianity is one of the only religions that talks this kind of language. It's not some external stuff you put on to be a better person. You, you don't muster up some 1 Corinthians 13 love. You let God on the inside go to work. And this happens in relationship. And we've got to get rid of our excuses. I just am too busy. You know why we don't spend time with God? Because it's an easy thing that nobody else notices we're not doing. But eventually they notice. I can tell you in my family, they notice if I'm not spending time with God because my Romans 7 old nature starts to well up. And even this week, I was asking God, how do I, in this COVID-19 stressful environment, how can I not move into being stressed out? And you know what God said to me? And I, I, I think it's true because it fits with the Bible. He said, you're preaching on it this Sunday. And I go, well, I, I do every morning. I go to the Lord, but I feel like it's not enough right now. And God said, hey, that well doesn't run dry. You can come to me lots every day. A few times, take some time, go away. Experience and soak up my love. It's time to give up excuses. So we're gonna take communion. And we're going to, uh, as the elders instruct us, we're gonna take the bread, swallow it down, let that image get into your head. We're gonna take the juice, representing the blood of Jesus, swallow it down, and remember, if you feel the coldness going down, remember, that is the presence and the power of Jesus. And God is love. And when you soak in his presence, when you uh, sort of take your attitudes and your rebelliousness, which is like witchcraft, and, and you lay it at his feet, whenever I pray with the prayer team that prays before the services, or even with the elders and the staff, the first thing we do is we, we ask God if there's any sin in our lives, and, and we say, God, you are God and we're not. We're coming under your authority right now. We enter a position of humility, and we let God soak us in his love. He, we let from the inside out his love come out. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Romans 12.1 says, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul starts to describe, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me in the same way. After supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then in verse 27, he warns the Corinthians to examine themselves. And he said, this is, again, when you're going, okay, this is all about God's love and experiences love. Then there's this warning that shows up, and it says, many have fallen asleep because they come to the communion table with a, a, a wrong attitude, a wrong heart. And he goes on to explain that we need to recognize what Jesus did at communion. We need to really soak it in. We need to stare at it when we swallow it down. We need to understand that Jesus gave up his body for you. He, 1 Corinthians 13, you. And when his blood poured out of his body, that blood poured on the ground. It caused the shockwave in the whole world, and it changed everything. Oh, there's so many people that love to go, I wished I was a Roman. Do you? Or I wished I was a Greek. Do you? Do you know what those governments were? Oh, there was a bit of democracy that was flowing for about 5% of the people. And the rest basically were all slaves. The unborn children, they were nothing. Women, as the most part, were nothing. They were treated awfully. We have the greatest societies in the last thousand years, and I believe it's a direct reflection of Jesus and the love that he teaches us. So let's get rid of the excuses. This communion day, when the elders come up, and you guys, whoever's going to pray first, can come up now. Go ahead, Barry or Dell. And as we take this, I want you to just experience his love. Experience what he has for you.